Scripture this morning is Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, It must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. The word of the Lord. And we needed the whole story this time. Unless you be confused, it says in that last verse, tell James and the brothers about this. And it just said James was executed by Herod. That's because it was James, the brother of John. This James is the brother of Jesus. So that's the difference there. Um, And I think it's interesting that the angel struck him on the side, which tells me Peter was sleeping pretty soundly. 
My dad never struck me on the side. He just threw the covers off and said, time to get up. But, yeah, uh, that says something about Peter in that situation, doesn't it? We'll touch on that a little more later. Have you ever dreamed or had a dream that seemed so real that you wondered afterwards whether the experience might have actually happened? I mean, I've had some dreams like that. I woke up and it's like, oh, it was a dream, but I... You know, for a while was I thought it was real. Well, that's what happened to Peter here um, in this chapter. And so this morning we're going to look at the power of a praying church. Uh, a number of years ago, I attended a conference on prayer in the little town of Jefferson, Oregon. You all know where that is, and probably have been there on vacation a few times. Actually, you know, it's just a small burg. It's off the main drag, and and um, it, it was held there because the Baptist church in that town, this little town, had an attendance, a weekly attendance, of over a thousand. The pastor was a former dairyman. That who God had called into the ministry later in life. And because he came to this church feeling ill-equipped for pastoral leadership, he relied on prayer. It became the keystone of this church. And over the years, it grew to become this large church in this really small community. And here's a quote that the pastor shared with us. It was the theme of the conference. He said this, Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Prayer is a powerful weapon. It's like a missile. I love this. It's like a missile. It can be aimed anywhere in the world And it hits its target at the speed of thought every single time. Prayer is an evangelistic tool. Your children can tune you out. Your neighbors can slam the door in your face. But they can't keep the Holy Spirit from knocking at their heart's door in response to your prayer. Julie and I talk about that. We pray for a number of our neighbors And that's one of our things that we think about. You know what? They may not be open to us sharing Jesus with them, but those closed front doors cannot keep the Holy Spirit out. So when you pray regularly, irregular things happen on a regular basis. So I want to begin this morning by tossing out these three questions, and I'll explain what I mean by them just a little bit. Am I praying as I ought to pray? Am I praying as I ought to pray? That's my fingers pointing at me here. Am I praying as I ought to pray? Are we praying as we ought to pray? Or are you as an individual praying as you ought to pray? And, and I think sometimes we say that as you ought to pray, um, we're thinking in the context of praying a right or a miss. Am I praying the right things or am I praying the wrong things? And, and, and I do not want to minimize the importance of that, of that question, but rather what I mean by this is, uh, are we praying as we ought to pray? Am I or are you? I, I want to think them this in terms of, are we praying as much as we should be? Am I praying as I ought to pray? Am I praying as much as I should be? Are we prevailing 
in prayer. So I'm going to highlight verses out of this passage that Dean read for us, this story about Peter being thrown into prison. Verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So Herod had done this thing that made the Jews happy. He'd executed James, the brother of John. And, uh, you know, the, 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 these um, Roman people who were... The Rome had the authority here. People like Herod and even Pilate at the execution of Jesus when he died on the cross. They wanted to curry favor with the Jewish population. It just kept them easier to control. So when Herod realized that executing James made the people happy... The Jews happy, he said, let's throw Peter in prison, we'll put him on trial, and that'll make him even happier. So the scripture says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So uh, persecution of the church is on the rise, and already a number of believers have been put in prison. James, the brother John, has been executed by Herod, and again, Herod, eager to curry favor with the Jews, realizing that James' execution has pleased them, he said, well, I think I'll put Peter in prison too, and we all know what awaited him. And it certainly was on the mind of the church what had happened to James, and now what would probably happen to Peter. So what's the church do? Well, they had a potluck, and no, they went to prayer. We'd be tempted to have a potluck, but because we're good at that. I hope we're as good at prayer. So, in verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. In verse 5, we see the essence of intercessory prayer. They came together and were committed to praying until God answered. So the essence of intercessory prayer is prevailing prayer. We keep praying. You know, every Sunday morning when we have the pastoral prayer, that is a time of intercessory prayer in our church service. We are offering prayers to God for others from the church. When we have prayer on Thursday evening, that is intercessory prayer. We are offering prayers to God for others by the church. And as we go through this passage this morning, we will see that the church was not just offering token lip service prayers. They were doing some serious praying. And their prayers made a difference. Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Hey, Herod didn't want Peter out of there. He wanted to make sure that he could follow through on this deal to make the Jews even happier. Peter is sleeping? So soundly that the, the, the angel has to strike him on the side to wake him up. Peter is sleeping in prison. 
the night before he's probably going to be executed. I mean, that's, that's, Herod had already seen it worked here, made the Jews happy, so let's execute somebody else. And Peter's sleeping. Wish I could do that. That is some kind of trust in God, isn't it? You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I think it would have been pretty tough to, to sleep if I'd found myself in the same circumstances as Peter did at this point. And the Apostle Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Seems like a verse that Peter was able to live out in his life. Do not be anxious about anything. That includes when you're thrown in jail with the promise or with the possibility of being executed the next day. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus so you can fall asleep and sleep soundly in prison the night before you may be executed. Wow. Peter is sleeping. God gave him a peace that surpasses understanding. Perhaps he had the same attitude that the Apostle Paul expressed earlier in Philippians where he said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, God, the outcome is up to you. If I live, good. If I do, die, that's good too. We don't tend to think that way, do we? And what is the church doing while this is going on? They're praying. They're praying. So I wonder, am I praying as I ought to pray? Are we praying as we ought to pray? Are you praying as you ought to pray? Verse 7. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. You wonder what the guards are... doesn't tell us. Maybe they were asleep too. I mean, he's chained to them. And it's like they might have been saying, this is no good, I have to stay awake all night. This guy we're guarding is asleep, so maybe they laid down and went to sleep too. I don't know. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, woke him up. Get up, get up quick, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. The angel of the Lord appeared. It, it takes me back... Um, to that story in the book of Daniel about what we call the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they refused to bow down to the king. Remember, he built this huge idol. And when they heard the sound of all kinds of instruments, they were supposed to fall down and worship. And then, I, I know I've said this before, but I just think of that scene. And I just picture this great courtyard and this huge idol and the music sounds and everybody goes to their faces and here they stand like sore thumbs. You cannot miss these guys. And the promise was if you don't bow down to the idol, you get thrown into the fiery furnace that was made so hot 
that the soldiers who threw them in perished. That's hot. And after they're thrown in, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. God stood with these men just as he stood beside Peter in prison. Maybe not God himself, but God in the form of the angel or whoever he sent to deliver them. We have different, the commentators have different ideas about who that was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the point is, God showed up, didn't he? And you know what? He he promises never to leave us or forsake us either. God said in Isaiah 43, verses 2 and the first, verse 2 and the first part of verse 3, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God is with us. Even in prison, God is standing beside Peter. And verse 7 tells us that the angel struck Peter on the side, woke him up, said, Get up, and his chains fell off. You know, that deliverance, that particular verse is what inspired Charles Wesley to write, My chains fell off, my heart was free, I went, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That instance in the scripture. And look how God is responding to the prayers of the church as they intercede for they're interceding, they're praying for Peter right now. This is this is nighttime. It's nighttime. They got together there. They're going to pray till God answers. Look how God is at work as they intercede for people. And I think, am I praying as I ought to pray? Are we praying as we ought to pray? Are you praying as you ought to pray? Well, after the angel awakens Peter, he leads him out of the prison and through a gate that leads into the city. And after they walked about a block, the angel leaves Peter and he realizes that he's not dreaming. This is really happening. And verse 11 tells us, And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So, when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together, and we know what they were doing. They were praying. Lord, get Peter out of prison. Lord, save Peter. I'm not sure exactly what they were praying, but we know they were praying for him. Was this a church board strategy session? No. They weren't saying, well, let's see, what can we do to get... Maybe we could post bail. Maybe we could bribe a guard. No. 
No. They were praying. They were gathered together praying. No lip service in this church. It was the middle of the night. They were earnestly praying to God for Peter. And look what happens next. This is, to me, this is almost humorous. Verse 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. She left him standing there. But ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. I love this. The church is knocking at heaven's door with a request, and God is knocking at their door with the answer. The church is knocking at heaven's door with a request, and God is knocking at their door with the answer. There stands Peter. Verse 15. So Peter's knocking. Rhoda tells everyone, It's Peter. He's at the door. And he said to her, You're crazy. (laughs) Yet she kept insisting that it was so, so they said, well, it must be his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Another version says they were amazed. The church was praying, and their prayers... Their prayer was answered sooner than they expected, or maybe in a way that they didn't expect. This passage, although I find kind of humorous, it also has raised some questions in my mind. Here's the church praying earnestly that Peter will be, God will intervene. And I'm not sure what they were really expecting, that his life would be saved, that he'd be released from prison. I'm not sure what they were expecting. But when he is released and knocking at the door, they just can't believe it. Well, that can't be Peter. We're praying for him to, we're praying for Peter. That can't be him. What's going on here? Well, I think there are a couple of possible explanations. One might be that even though they were praying, they really didn't have faith to believe that God could do what they were asking. And I really don't think that was the case. I think the early church had seen God to do too many amazing, miraculous things to now think that He couldn't do this thing that they were praying that He would do for Pe- they would that God would do for Peter. What I see happening here is something that I think I struggle with in my prayer life at times, and it is this: I believe God can do this. Do I believe that He will do it? That's the hang-up. And I think that might have been where they were at. They were praying that God would... Well, maybe they were praying He would be released from prison or His life would be spared. They believed God could do that, but did they believe He would? And when He showed up at the door, I think we have evidence that they weren't really sure that God would answer their prayer. Maybe He just did it more speedily than they thought. And, and, you know, I think we hear stories sometimes about, you know, I prayed for a family member for 40 years, and so we just think God's pretty slow to answer our prayers most of the time. And so when He does it in a more speedy fashion, we just, it's like, what happened here? I'm...
case, God did what they were praying that he could do, whether they really thought he would do it or not. Here's the point. Prevailing prayer means we keep praying until God answers or until he releases us. See, that pastor in Jefferson, Oregon was right. Much prayer does equal much power. And hopefully that would inspire us to pray. You know, I want to be a man of faith. I want to be a man of prayer. And sometimes I confess that when I pray, I really don't leave it in God's hands. I still try to do things in my own strength. I try to fix it myself. I I, I wish I had the forethought to go to God to start with, but sometimes I only ask for His help after I've tried everything. Of course, I'm probably the only one that's ever done that in here, but isn't that... So I find we tend to pray two different kinds of prayers. The first one is this. Get me out prayers. The other is this. Get me through prayers. Now, get me out prayers are praying for God to help us out of a problem or circumstance. Lord, get me out of this. Get me out of this job. Get me out of this financial mess. Get our church out of debt. Get me out. And there's, these are good prayers. There's nothing wrong with them. The church was praying, I think, to get Peter out. And God answered in a miraculous way. You know, I have a tendency to pray, get me out prayers when it comes to the issues we're facing right now as a nation. I just want God to step in and do something miraculous and powerful and get us out of this mess that we're in. I want Him to end abortion. I want Him to renew a biblical view of gender and sex. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the issues of same-sex marriage and those relationships and transgenderism and all the proclaimed gender identities that we tend to forget about other things that are lesser now on the radar like sex outside of marriage. But all these things, we need God to enter. Get us out. Y'all ever, do you pray like that? But then there are the get me through prayers. In addition to praying for deliverance, we need to learn prevailing prayers. We need to ask God to give us the grace to sustain us, to strengthen us, to help us stand firm, the willpower to keep on keeping on, even though our circumstances aren't changing. See, that's the difference between praying out and praying through. Some of you have probably been going through the same struggles for months, maybe years. And maybe you've prayed a lot of get-me-out prayers. Maybe it's time to pray some get-me-through prayers for whatever reasons, for 
reasons I cannot explain to you, perhaps God is allowing you to go through this thing to build character, to teach you something, to strengthen your resolve, to minister to someone else, to be a witness of His grace, His sustaining grace. Because you're still going through. For whatever reason, He hasn't gotten you out. So asking God to get you through would be an appropriate prayer to pray. Some of you are going through a difficult season right now. But I have confidence that God will get you through if you keep your eyes on Him. One way or another. And every discouraging time I've had in my life has been when I took my eyes off Jesus and put them on my circumstances. The storms of life have a tendency to drain us, deplete us. And when your tank is empty, be it your spiritual tank or your financial tank or your emotional tank or your love tank, you tend to lose perspective. In the middle, and in the middle of the storm, the enemy comes along and he says things like this. I think you should just give up and quit. Or why bother? Or you're not going to make it. Or no one, including God, cares. That's the kind of things he tells us, right? Well, I'm here to remind you this morning that Satan is a liar and you shouldn't quit. And you shouldn't give up. And you need to hold on to Jesus and don't let go. Jesus will get you out or he will get you through. I would admit I like to be out. But very often he takes us through. See, if there is anyone who can help you in the storms of life, it is Jesus Christ. Look back to the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is the one who gets us through the storms of life. So let me ask you again, are we praying as we ought to pray? Am I praying as I ought to pray? Are you praying as you ought to pray? And I want this morning to end with prayer. And here's my challenge to you. Right where you are in your seat or at the altar or kneeling at your pew or whatever, I'm not going to lead. No one's going to lead. But I want us to be a praying church as we end today. And we all have things on our hearts, don't we? Maybe it's for prodigals. Maybe it's for the issues in our nation. Maybe it's for a ministry we're involved in. Maybe it's because we need to confess sin. Maybe it's for God's strength and power. But we need to be a people who intercede. I want us just to take some moments this morning as we close, to pray for what's on our hearts. You know, we've just come through this season when we were encouraged as the Church of the Nazarene to pray for God's protection, revelation, and inspiration.
Maybe you want to pray for our denomination right now. But remember, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Let's make it a house of prayer this morning. So let's just bow our heads. When you've prayed for what's on your heart, then you're free to go. But let's spend some time as God's people being a praying church this morning. Let's pray together.